This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create positive change in the world every day by being a conscious consumer. I'm your host, Laura Alexandra Wittig, founder of Brightly.eco, and I started this podcast a few years ago because I wanted a place to talk about the gray areas around sustainability and how being a conscious consumer can be challenging and confusing but it's totally doable. So join me in the name of reducing waste and living positively in the name of the planet. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good Together listeners, I'm super excited to welcome Chris Vargas to the podcast today. And the reason why I'm really excited about this is because I feel like we all really want to put our money towards saving the environment however much we can. Um, and there's a lot of organizations out there, nonprofits, etc., that that are working towards change. But I think the hard part is it can sometimes be difficult to understand where your donations are actually going and if they're actually making an impact. So um, today we're talking with Chris, um, and he's a Silicon Valley-based tech entrepreneur and the founder of ReWorld. Um, and he's going to share the surprising truth about what goes on behind the scenes at some of these environmental organizations and really how to ensure your dollars are being well spent. So Chris, welcome to the podcast. I, I wonder if you can just give a brief intro of yourself and sort of how you got started on your journey. Hey, Laura, great to meet you. And thanks for having me. It's really good to be here. Um, yeah, how I got started on the journey, got, I've been a lifelong environmentalist, always kind of anxious and worried and a little bit curious how we can take steps to save our planet. Yeah. So, you know, years of just getting involved as a donor, mostly supporting conservationists, kind of evolved to getting more engaged and really helping them do things, do whatever they do 10 times faster, 100 times faster, if that's mm. possible. So it's really kind of amplifying their great work. That's awesome. Well, you know, I think what's what's really cool to hear about this is that you are interested in approaching the space from a variety of, you know, angles, which is super interesting. So tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, about ReWorld and sort of what, what ReWorld is all about. Sure. ReWorld was inspired. I've been working with conservationists and climate experts for about 15 years, and they, they exist around the world in the, in the middle of nowhere doing amazing work. From the process of supporting them financially, I start to get into, into their under the skin a little bit, understand, wow, what slows them down? You know, why they can't raise money faster, how they can scale their operations better. So ReWorld was really born with this idea to understanding what happens in these NGOs in the middle of nowhere that you've probably never heard of, but that mm -hmm. are doing amazing things. How can we help them do what they already do much, much faster? That was the inspiration of ReWorld. I'm a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. We always try to find a way to find that quote 10X, if you will. Yeah. We're trying to bring that same 10X to uh, the, the climate and the conservation space. 
Yeah, I love that. And you're right. I think one of the things I was struck um, by in my own career path, um, so I was at Google for a while and I was focused on social impact search. And one of the things that really stood out to me in that um, career was I worked a lot with NGOs and I, I often observed exactly what we were talking about, which is they were doing some amazing work but they, you know, weren't necessarily attacking the problem like we like to do in the tech industry, right? So I think right. it's a really nice uh, way to be able to kind of apply some of that um, scalability thought processes to to nonprofit work. Um, so tell me a little bit more. So we, when we were doing some research for this episode, we we saw that you know here the, the story goes, you know, you and your co-founders set out with an idea to help a Colombian conservationist reforest a plot of land. Um, and I think that's a great idea. And so it sounds like you you all initially thought that this would be focused on fundraising to buy land. But as you got more and more involved in the project, you realized that there was, you know, a few things going on that you didn't expect. Like, maybe tell us a little bit about that project. Absolutely. You know, I've known this Colombian conservationist for about 18 years. She's amazing. She reminds me of take Jane Goodall and Steve Jobs and their best attributes. And th there's Rosemary and one person, right? She's, she's fantastic. But when we approached her to say, Hey, we know you, you're doing an amazing reforestation project. How can we help you? As we started to peel back the layers, we saw that she wasn't just planting trees and storing carbon. She was protecting multiple critically endangered species. She was providing jobs and income for local communities she was building an entire new biodiversity corridor in the middle of Colombia. When you start to add it all up, she had this amazing opportunity to turn her work into what are called carbon credits mm -hmm. and eventually biodiversity credits. So she was sitting on a way to help fund her operations that none of us really realized the extent of it until we kind of dug down deeper and saw, wow, there's a lot of credits sitting here. How do we unlock those? efficiently and cheaply so she can benefit from those. That was a, sort of the, un, the the surprising discovery was it wasn't just about planting trees and storing carbon. So much more is going on. And the carbon credit opportunity was pretty compelling. Interesting. So so basically what you're saying is her entire operation, well, maybe not entire, but a, a large portion of that operation could be funded by existing programs that maybe you weren't initially aware of. Is that right? That, that is correct. You know, mm. we, we sort of discovered carbon credits. We've heard about them for years, but didn't really understand how they could apply to a reforestation project in Colombia. So we started unpeeling the layers, learning more about the carbon credit process. I'm like, wow, if you do some hard work, you can generate some viable carbon credits because of the richness of our project. The other thing we discovered, Laura, was that carbon credits are kind of messy and they're kind of complicated and they're really yep. expensive. And there's a lot of low value credits running out there you absolutely want to avoid being in the low value bucket you want to focus on the highest quality because that's what really makes a difference and that's what the world wants to buy so yeah tell me a little bit more about that like what would you define as a high quality carbon credit versus a low quality one there are a lot of definitions out there but generally the the standard accepted one is Number one, you are storing carbon and you can verify it very, very accurately. So you've got really good ways to measure the carbon you're storing. Number two, you have permanence. It's not like a piece of land that you're leasing or that yeah. you're, you're sitting on and someone could buy out from you in a couple of years and tear it down. So you, some sense of permanence, like you, you, you store the carbon, inject it far underground in some cases using technology. So permanence is important. Number three, Additionality. 
would this have happened without your activity? That's a really important test. Hmm. If it would have already happened, regardless of whether or not you were there, it it's not really proving the concept of additionality. That's super important. Uh, number four, you also want to be very conservative in your estimates. Demonstrate that, hey, we're, 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 we're guessing on the low side, right? We're not going to overstate our benefits so we can sort of overstate our carbon storage, right? And then, of course, the other rich layers are, do you, do you do more than store carbon? Do you protect indigenous rights? Do you provide jobs for local communities? Do you protect critical habitat or critical endangered species? And that is what our Rosemary was doing in Columbia. All these other layers that made her project really in the high value bucket. And it's very important cool to there because those the high value credits are really the ones that you can trust are doing what you want done, removing carbon permanently from the atmosphere. And, you know, the, the thing that I loved as you were going through and explaining this is this, I feel like, you know, the process that you talked about to evaluate the, you know, quality of a carbon uh, credit could actually be applied to a lot of the work that NGOs do as well, right? When we talk about right. permanence and making sure that they're positively impacting the world around them in other ways. Um, and I think that was something that we, you know, really were, were curious about when we started to put together this episode, which is, you know, getting people to, you know, think more critically potentially about, you know, which NGOs they're supporting, or, or at least just maybe diving in a little bit. I mean, we're all super busy people. We want to make sure that we're, you know, doing the right thing. But it does, I think, make sense to apply this type of lens before you, you know, evaluate um, who to donate to, right? As absolutely, as a potential donor, whether it's carbon credit based project or not, you want to look at other layers like transparency. Are, are they disclosing how much of my contribution actually goes to the work they do? Mm. Sometimes there can be a, a middleman or a fee or a very high overhead expense that diminishes the impact of your generous gift. So transparency is really important. The second one is impact. Can you scientifically or very rigorously show me the impact that you are making and that my contribution will help you make? It's, it's giving some quantifiable metrics. It's letting you zoom right into, well, if I give $100, it's going to go provide you know, this job for this community or this yeah. income. So the impact is really important, too. And a lot of nonprofits kind of, well, not a lot. I see it's important for any nonprofit to show their, their donors the impact that their capital is making. And that's what's absolutely important. Absolutely. Well, you know, and the other thing that's interesting is uh, obviously there's no standardized reporting system across the, you know, the space. They, there's all sorts of different metrics that can be, you know, provided back to donors. But you're right. I mean, just making sure that the organization has some rigor in place to be able to quantify the impact that they're having is really important. And, you know, the challenge I'm sure for these NGOs is, I would imagine oftentimes the people that are compelled to do the hard work and start these may have different strengths in different areas. And so, you know, I think part of making sure, I mean, this is the same thing going for a nonprofit or a for-profit, making sure that the team involved has the strengths spread across the organization, I think can be really important. Um, and kind of while we're talking about evaluating impact and thinking more before you, you know, choose to put your dollars somewhere, we talk a lot about, you know, conscious consumerism on this podcast and, you know, organizations, actually for-profit organizations that are creating products or, um, you know, services that are designed to better the planet. 
And I think a lot of times uh, we come across companies who do things like they plant a tree for each um, order or perhaps they're, um, you know, giving back to other organizations. So do you have tips for consumers who are looking to almost like secondhand donate? Like, is there a way that we can, when we're on, you know, a website of a, you know, eyeglass company and they say that their one pair goes to, you know, somebody overseas in need, like, are there ways that consumers can better evaluate these types of things before they decide to purchase something over something else? You know, that's a great question because you want to ensure that, hey, are you doing what you tell me you're doing, right? And can I measure it? And can I be certain that it will it will last, right? Um, so there are a lot of great sites out there that let you evaluate uh, a nonprofit. Charity Navigator is one. They evaluate several different areas of each nonprofit and give them a certain score. So that, that's one way to sort of dig a little bit deeper and understand, you know, if they are um, a third party is auditing and assessing their their impact. That's one way. I tend to prefer the direct way, which is, you know, get their last annual report, read it over, see what their North Star is. What are the metrics that they're promoting? Look at their budget, see how much of their budget goes to the actual uh, North Star metric, whether that's reforestation, uh, you know, recycling plastics providing jobs for women in impoverished communities, like how many jobs did they create last year? Divide that by the total capital they needed to do that. And you've got roughly a, a, a good estimate for what your impact can make. If you know that it, they created 200 jobs and they spent $5,000 to do that, you kind of know, wait a minute, uh, do the math. And I, my donation can create one more job for the mm. local community. So I tend to like, like to look at the annual reports to come up with my own verification of what my my donation could do. That's really interesting. And I think from, you know, the, the consumer perspective, um, you know, a lot of times we rely on, you know, maybe the, the company that we're purchasing from to do that um, research for us if we're in a busy and we're in a tight spot. But I think the, the takeaway that I've, I've heard from this is just making sure that again, there is transparency. Like if, if the company says we're going to plant one tree for every product purchase, like how many trees have they donated recently? <laughs> like, is there a counter mm -hmm. that you can look at or can you just ask them in an email or a DM? Like just, I think applying a little bit of, of rigor there. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this a little bit is, you know, I think people are so quick to hop on the um, general trend of, of calling for profits out for greenwashing. Right. And, and mm -hmm. really, pushing on them constantly and really asking them to, to show their receipts as it were, which is good. I think we should absolutely, anytime a, a claim is made, I think that we do need to, you know, hold, hold these organizations accountable. But I, I think what we've talked about in terms of evaluation is that some of this should apply to NGOs as well. Um, I mean, they, they absolutely, um, you know, in, in most instances, I would say are, are started with the best of intentions, but we should also make sure that they're, um, you know, being checked on that, right? Well, there's a couple of really quick ways you can do those checks, right? Because that's an, you're, you're making a great point. You know, are they actually doing what they say? Let's look at the tree planting example. Simply ask the organization, hey, show me, give me the GPS coordinates of trees you planted five years ago, right? And go to yeah. Google Maps and, and go, just go check it out. Are those trees still there, right? Because it's, 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 tree planting is actually the easy thing tree survival and tree growth and tree maturation is where all the carbon activity happens. So it's not enough to say, hey, we planted a tree. You want to make sure that the trees they planted are there 5, 10, 50 years later. 
And you should actually just use your own little hacking tools to say, show me, give me the address. I'll Google map it. Hey, the trees are still there. That's one way you can check. Okay. It's important that the permanence is there. And that, you know, if, if an organization has been around for 10 years, they should have those metrics and be able to show this to you verifiably for sure. Right? Yeah, absolutely. We heard that you're working on something super exciting right now with ReWorld um, that's actually in, earned the endorsement of Jane Goodall, who we all know and love. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that project. Yes. No, our first project is a Colombian reforestation project. And ReWorld is thrilled to be working with Rosemir Guillen, who's the founder of Proyecto Titi. And she's based in Colombia. Now, Rosemir also knows Jane Goodall. But, wow. Jane, <laughs> Jane is a big fan of her work because what Rosemir is doing is literally planting, building a new biodiversity corridor that will protect many endangered species. One of them is a primate. And as you know, Jane Goodall is a huge, you know, a, a supporter of the primate world. So, you know, Jane knows Rosemira and she very generously supported our project. And that was like an over the moon endorsement to have. Yeah. In, in a nutshell, ReWorld allows anybody in the world to Go to our website with one click. You can buy an acre. You can buy a tenth of an acre. You can buy 10 acres and own that acre. Name it after your mom, your dad, your kids, your your spouse, your significant other. Name it after somebody you love. And it will be a permanent impact on, on, on our planet. And we'll show you exactly the metrics, you the impact you create with your donation. That's whether amazing. It's, whether it's a $100 donation or a $100,000 donation, we can tell you, how many trees you'll be planting, how much carbon you'll be removing, how much income you'll provide for local communities, and how much critical biodiversity habitat will be created using your donation. So we're really thrilled with the ability, and you can literally go to a map and see it on a Google map and pick out your acre and put your name on that acre as a permanent memorial of your gift. So we, we like that ability to let anybody in the world go right to our project, own a little piece of land, know the impact you made and how that'd be a permanent legacy to your generosity. That's what we love about this project. That's awesome. And so, yeah, I mean, I think just to like further, you know, expand on, you know, what the project is, I mean, you know, uh, per uh, reforesting and protecting a few thousand acres of abandoned cattle ranch land in Northern Colombia. Um, and it, it, when we were doing our research, it said the land would have most likely um, been sold to developers, um, you know, who were obviously going to do all sorts of things, probably put homes or other buildings on it. And so I wonder, um, you know, how did um, the entrepreneur you're working with, how did she identify this this space of land? And how how was she like, okay, this is what I'm going to do? Yeah, so Rosamira was born and raised in Colombia, and she's been working for about 20 to 25 years on this uh, in her nonprofit. So she knows the people in Northern Colombia really well. The farmers know her. And when these farmers, they typically have cattle ranch or cattle ranch land or farmland. When they retire, they want to sell their land. Mm. They've sort of abandoned it. It's sort of sitting. Is there small fam, smaller farms, right? So they're going to sell it, and, but rather than sell it to a developer who might, you know, do something development-wise on it, they'll reach out to Rosemary and say, "Hey, would you like to buy my land?" And so she has like the first opportunity to buy the land. And, but it's got to fit her vision, too. She's building a connected corridor that runs north-south for you know, 20, 30, 40 miles. So mm -hmm. her long-term vision is to piece by piece acquire this land and build this biodiversity corridor. But she's got to do it one parcel at a time. But wow. the, the good part is 
the farmers know her, they like her, they trust her, they know she's doing amazing work. So they come to her and say, hey, I'd like to sell my land now. Would you like to buy it? So her, her big task, of course, is to find the capital to buy this land, which is what ReWorld is helping her do. You know, our web, and this one parcel I just mentioned is a really large one that just came into her, her lap. That's about 1,000 acres. And we're helping her raise the money to buy that 1,000 acres, which will almost double the total size of her work. And she's going to keep buying land for the next 10 years after this. So it's, it's a big vision and yeah. a really exciting one. That's awesome. And so is the vision for ReWorld to get involved in more of these types of land acquisition projects, or do you have other plans for um, this type of model that you've created? Yes. You know, this is our first project. We want to get this done successfully, learn as much as we can about how to do this better, faster than ever. And once we get the Columbia project done, we are going to look to other NGOs around the world who have similar types of impact opportunity. Hey, you're, you're going to buy some land, maybe uh, forest land. It could be marine reserve land. It could be grasslands. But we want to find NGOs that need capital to buy the land because that creates permanence, by the way. When you own the land, you can't be bought out later and then have the, the trees torn down. So that's a really good impact to have the, 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 the ability to own the land that you're working on. So Absolutely. We will, we're actually talking to another group right now in Argentina, another one in Colombia, another one in Africa. So we do see other opportunities to keep growing the idea. But honestly, we want to get the first one done really well. And then we'll think about kind of adding two, three, four, and so on after. I love that. And, you know, that's your um, Silicon Valley uh, MVP uh, thought process going right now. (laughs) The MVP out and learn as much as you can. Yes. What what worked well? What didn't work well? How can we improve it? And so you want to go from zero to one, figure it out, and then go from one to 10 and then 10 to a thousand. Exactly. There you go. (laughs) I love that. Um, Well, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you um, about ReWorld and about this specific project that you're working on right now. And so I guess to kind of wrap things up, I mean, you've been involved in, you know, so many different facets of, you know, consumerism and capitalism and, and all of these things in your career. And, you know, as you've started to focus more and more on NGOs and environmental impact, um, I would think you probably have a very unique perspective on what's really going on in the consumer space. And so I like to ask this question to all of our guests um, because they always have really different perspectives. But the question specifically is like, what is exciting you the most about what you're witnessing in the general conversation going on about sustainability, um, you know, related living and and ethics? You know, that's a great question. And I I, I love the change I see. Look, I've been around a long time. I've seen the world, you know, pre-internet, you know, early internet and now full-scale internet. You know, I would say it it used to be a few loud vocal voices really advocating for the the things that matter. And within the last five, 10 years, you've literally seen that vocal minority become a vocal majority. And I'd say it's one thing that makes me really happy is to see the young, younger generation just embracing sustainability with a passion. When I was young, it was considered kind of wonky to be, you know, saving your plastic bottles or conserving water or buying ethical products. But now that's like, it's like just, it's normal. It's completely normalized. And most of the young people you meet today are really passionate about this. So seeing that groundswell of support among the younger generation, my kids are in their early twenties, watching them just wake up and, not even think about whether to be eco-conscious or sustainability conscious. It's just how they are. Yeah. I, I love that change because that's a generation that 
quite unfortunately, as to live with the, the mistakes and the sins we made and the older generation of not protecting our environment. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it, it's so inspiring to me that we have, you know, all generations now thinking about this and attacking the problem from the way that they know best. So obviously you're putting your, you know, years of experience and really your capital to work for this. Um, whereas, you know, maybe younger folks are more like on the ground, like doing what they can. And so th that's what's something that's really interesting for me to observe, um, you know, with the podcast and Brightly and everything like that. Well, um, good together listeners, you can find out more about ReWorld um, and, and everything else at our show notes um, that are going to be available at brightly.eco slash podcast. Um, but Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Laura, pleasure talking with you. And I, again, this is such a massive uh, mission you're doing. I want to thank you for bringing this awareness to the world through your podcast. I love it. And thanks for letting the world know about ReWorld. Uh, Re thank you. ReWorld.eco. We'd love to have everybody participate and build a new rainforest in South America. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social media. You'll find us on almost everything at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.